Is it time for a new standard of care for cancer that replaces dangerous chemo and radiation? Yes, according to my guest today. Listen to how her own experience in finding an alternative path to healing from Lyme disease led her to start investigating much safer and effective alternative treatments for cancer. So I encourage you to take note of how she not only overcame her own health challenge, but turned her adversity into an opportunity to help countless others. So as you listen to her story and what she found out, think about how you might astound yourself by using a major challenge in your own life to help many others. Some of you might even astound yourself by the results you could get from some of the treatments used by the doctors she interviewed. Welcome to the Astound Yourself podcast. I'm your host, Sally Saxon. And my very special guest today is Megan Smith. Uh, she's a documentary filmmaker and um, a freelance investigative journalist who has written, produced, and directed two documentaries that we're going to be talking about today. She has a master's degree in biology and is also the founder of Waymark Productions, a company dedicated to bettering the lives of those with health afflictions. She was also the first to report on the inaccuracy of Lyme disease testing for the Washington Post. Her latest film is the one we're going to focus more on today. It's called A New Standard of Care, Alternative Cancer Therapies. And this film investigates the area of non-conventional cancer therapies and is dedicated to her late husband who passed away from cancer in 2009. But Megan's first documentary is called Boobs, The War on Women's Breasts, about different breast cancer screening tests for women. And that film has won International Film Festival Awards and was also turned into a feature film. Megan, welcome to the Astound Yourself podcast. Thank you, Sally. I appreciate it. It's really an honor to have you here because I feel like we're kindred spirits in a, in a way because you've done a lot of research on some kinds of issues that I've done in, in a book that I wrote and looking at what we're not being told about certain you know, diseases and conditions affecting our health, which is such an important issue these days especially after what we've all been through the last four years or so and the problems that has caused through all things COVID. And it's so important, I think, for people to understand that there are alternatives available to them that are much safer, more effective, uh, less costly, and just better in so many ways. And uh, yet people have, a lot of people have difficulty in in even considering these because their doctor is not aware of these alternatives or doesn't believe in them or for one reason or another. And so we want to really pay some attention to these things. And I have watched both of your videos, your films, and I've taken extensive notes on them. And uh, I'm really impressed and really want to highly recommend both these films to both men and women, which brings me to one question, which is why should men be interested in the film about women's breast screening tests? 
So I guess there's two two reasons. One is they could contract breast cancer themselves. I think it's a small percentage, but some men do get breast cancer. But the bigger thing is that I think every man at this point probably knows a woman in his life, either his family or his friends or something that is going through breast cancer and knowing about the screening process to know ahead of time for maybe that they could help a friend or a family member if they didn't know this was going on, this stuff in my film. Or even if they don't know a woman or have a woman in their life who has been diagnosed with breast cancer, the men don't want to hear that diagnosis in the women in their life either. So all the more right. reason you know, for men to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning of how you got started in, in this field of investigating you know, alternative therapies and, and testing. And so you, your story, I believe, starts out when you had Lyme disease. And so take it from there and tell us what your experience with that was and how it led to these films. So in 2007, I was diagnosed with late Lyme disease. I'd had it for a year and a half. I kept telling my doctor, I'm, I know it's Lyme disease. I kept going to different doctors. They kept saying, you have fibromyalgia, you have everything, all this, it doesn't exist in Virginia. And I said, look, my two dogs have Lyme disease, so I'm not sure what you're talking about. So finally, I went to a Johns Hopkins doctor and he said, yeah, you have Lyme disease, late Lyme now, and you're going to be stuck on high dose IV antibiotics the rest of your life. And I went, no, I'm not. <laughs> I got the heck out of there. Mm-hmm. And happenstance, my acupuncture at the acupuncturist at the time had a squamous cell carcinoma on his leg. It was probably it was probably big as a half dollar. And he said, I don't want to, I don't want to get surgery again. And I said, there's this thing called a Rife machine, R-I-F-E, that a friend of mine had told me about. He said, I just heard about that thing too. Let's investigate. So we bought a machine, we shared it. And over the next six months, he cured his squamous cell. It We watched it go away on his leg. And then he's actually in my film also. And then my Lyme disease, it took about a year and a half to get over with this machine to get rid of all the co-infections also. But I did it. I'm fine now. And then about two, and I wrote an article for the Washington Post based on that. I started to research it. And that's when I became an investigative reporter. And I started to write articles about Lyme and other things. And then to about 2008, my husband was diagnosed with lung cancer. And I said, look, why don't you try this machine? Because you're stage four at this point. You've got, you're going to get radiation and chemo. We know what that's about. He said, I don't understand this thing, but I'll try it. He tried it for three days. His lungs were, he was wheezing from his lung cancer and the wheezing went away. And I said, Proctor, just try, let's try this machine before you do the other modalities. And he said, no, Megan, I I just don't understand this thing. I just, I have to follow the white coat is basically what he said. I trust my doctor, even though we knew where it was going to go. And so he followed the white coat. And after, after two cocktails of five chemos, one of which was platinum, cisplatin, which is the worst you can put in your body. He was in bedridden the rest of his couple for another couple of months before he passed. And I stewed about that for a while. And finally, six years later, I decided I was a DC lobbyist. I have, so I have politics behind me. I have my master's. I have, I'm a journalist and I just need a cameraman. And I'm going to go make a documentary film out of this because Ty Bollinger had done that amazing series called The Truth About Cancer, which I'd watched. And I said, it'd be great if you just had it, all that information and then some in one, one film. So little did I know I was going to have 200 hours of interviews around from around the world 
and I've got it down to four hours and 45 minutes. And that is the best I could do. People that watch it say, I don't know what you would have cut out because it's all really important information. So and it wasn't going to be in the theater. So I thought, what the heck, I'll just throw everything in the kitchen sink in there. So I did. <laughs> yeah, and I, I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what you would cut out either because it was jam packed. So when people watch it, you don't have to watch the whole thing at once, break it into right. to chunks yeah. and come back to it. But the, the information is so important and can change people's lives and not only their own life, if they have a cancer issue, but their families, because look how many people are impacted when one family member or one coworker has cancer and dies from it. It's not just that person and their spouse. There are just many impacts. Okay. So then you were led to what, make your first film about the women's uh, breast screening tests Tell us what you found out about that. Yeah, that film, I started doing a new standard of care, the second film first. And then I I noticed that 10 minutes of my 90 minute film were on was on a breast cancer screening. And I said, this must be bothering me. <laughs> so I spun that out into a short, got picked up by a cinema Libra studio who did the Vaxxed movie. And so I had to put that out. So it took me about a year and a half to put that out as a feature. But that will walk people through what we're doing today is the standard of care, which is mammography first. And then they'll look at you if they you have dense breasts or they find something, they'll do an ultrasound or an MRI. But you have to get the mammogram first. And the mammogram is loaded with a lot more radiation than they're letting on. I found that out through a Columbia University professor I called up. And he was the one who said, no, they're, they're talking when they say it's the same radiation as flying over the U.S., they're talking about scattered radiation across the whole body and not about the absorbed dose going into your breast. That's a total, totally different subject. And it's a lot more. So I then I started investigating that. And then that led to and I had two doctors tell me it'd be better if we got away from the radiation, which is giving women breast cancer. That's it. And the literature is starting to point to that direction and, and try ultrasound and thermography together instead, mm-hmm. non-radiative, non-invasive, and overall pretty darn accurate. And I'd say even more accurate than the mammogram. That's what they stand by also. Yeah. So let's uh, hone in on this issue of standard of care, because it's a key issue in both your films. And first of all, For those who aren't familiar with what a standard of care means or what that is, explain that and then the problems with it and why we as patients should care about the standard of care. Why is it important for patients to understand the standard of care concept? So standard of care is basically a legal term. It means It's a set of guidelines. There's a lot of wiggle room in there for doctors, but it's a set of guidelines that a doctor, an average doctor, reasonable doctor would use on a patient under certain circumstances. And basically what it is, it's a liability (laughs) defender. (laughs) So if you follow the standard of care in a court of law, as long as you follow the standard of care, you will probably, whoever's trying to sue you is not going to win. You're going to win because you followed the standard of care. And they put all their evidence-based medicine jargon behind these standard of care. It turns out why the patient should be interested in this is that standard of care is really set by the insurance Medicare, which is a government insurance company, right? It's really set by Medicare, and then it dribbles down to the insurance companies. And from there, it might eventually affect med, med school's curriculum. 
So I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure how they go about what the whole process is. It's I'm not sure that anybody understands it. But so just be aware that it's totally, it's not based on evidence. The evidence is they make the evidence fit the standard of care, not vice versa, which is what they should be doing. Also, it's important to know that 50% to um, two of the top five medical journal editors have come out and said things like 50% of the medical literature is fraudulent and you can't even trust your own doctor because of that. That's huge. When I saw that, I was like, wow, that's so much for evidence-based medicine. <laughs> Yeah, I encountered that too in in spending thousands of hours research researching my own book on a separate issue, the impact of the COVID vaccines. Like you, as we were discussing earlier, we're both focusing in on what we are not being told by the medical industrial complex, which includes not only the government and big pharma, as well as the corporate media that it's all controlled by the same people higher up but also the medical journals and medical associations. And you said insurance companies and various health related organizations and so forth. There's a very different story being told through those entities in the medical industrial complex than you would read in the independent media, like where your own films fit in, where you're interviewing doctors who are, who are outside of modern medicine, but they're providing treatments that are very effective and looking for things outside of the normal ones that your doctor is, your MD doctor is probably going to recommend. And I see some change now after COVID. There's a little bit more of a shift, I think, away from just reliance on prescription drugs and the normal conventional treatments to some natural treatments, but which we're going to discuss more of. Is there anything more about the boobs film that we should you know, discuss before we move on to the, the other one? So in a nutshell, there's two big issues. One is DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ, which represents about 25% of breast cancers. It's actually a stage zero precancer. And that one's being way overdiagnosed and overtreated. So it's only found on a mammogram. They find calcifications on the mammogram, which indicates there's precancerous cells in there in the breast. And so the women hear the word carcinoma, even though it's not a carcinoma, it's a precancer, and they want to have their breasts taken off because they don't want it to turn into an invasive tumor. There's no, they, they're trying to figure out if there's a way for them to figure out which ones DCIS are going to become invasive, which are not. Of course, the other problem is we're getting our breasts radiated year after year. How much of these DCIS are brought on by the mammogram? But anyway, so be aware that DCIS is, it's a often, it's a big diagnosis. It's like I said, 25% of breast cancers. So that I go into that in my film. The other thing is radiation. The breast is the most radiation sensitive organ in the body. And it's because of our dense breast tissue. And I didn't know that until I, I went deep into the literature. I went into the citations of the citations and I found the cell physiologist screaming and saying epithelial cells, which is what the glandular part of the breast is the most radiation sensitive tissue. It's also thyroid gland, same thing, radiation sensitive, but they're bombarding us with radiation year after year. It doesn't make any sense. They're doing, and the denser your breasts are, the more likely you are to get breast cancer and they keep saying, I don't, we don't know why that's true. Look, it might be because they're cranking up the radiation when you have really dense breasts to see through the dense breast tissue. 
uh, I would contend that there's probably a correlation between the dense breast tissue and getting cancer because of the radiation that they're putting into the breast. Be aware of that when you're told, and I think all of us are told at one point or the other that we have dense breasts. It's a reason for us to be doing ultrasound instead of mammogram, but they march us with standard of care. They march you down mammogram first and then ultrasound after. And it's infuriating women and Medicare will not change that. They just refuse to change that guideline. Yeah. And you know, that raises a, an issue or two that will also come up in your other film, too, and, and all the things that were discussed there is the role that insurance plays in determining what kind of treatment you're going to get. Because most people, they need to have their health insurance cover whatever treatments they're going to have, just for financial reasons. And I know my one of my best friends had cancer and she was in that situation where she wanted to follow more natural treatments and all, but she couldn't afford it. She had to rely on insurance. And so she had chemo and radiation and surgery. And that was that led to her death. And so what's what I think is important here for people to understand is we're going to have to make a couple of hard choices. And this goes for our healthcare on any in any respect from here on in, I think, especially after COVID, where we have to look at, can we trust what our doctors are telling us? And two, if we want to seek out alternatives and insurance doesn't cover it, are we willing to pay out of pocket for it? And, and those are two big, difficult issues, I think, for people, but we're going to have to go with on the issue you raised, Megan, about in order for insurance to cover it, like the ultrasound, they require the mammogram first. So we're going to have to find the courage based on knowledge and doing some of our own research, which people can find out themselves by watching Megan's films. But finding out the problems that will help us to stand up and say, no, I will not do that because I don't believe it's safe. And how do we get the courage to just stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm yeah. Gonna this is going to take a groundswell. And, and like you said, with COVID, the, the whole COVID and vaccine thing, I think it opened a lot of people's eyes to, hey, medicines, maybe in the government about these FDA, CDC, whatever, maybe they're not being totally forthcoming with us and they think we're suckers and for whatever reason they're on this agenda. So I think I think they're, that's like the only silver lining to that cloud that we had to go through for four years is that I think people are starting to wake up. You'll see, I'm sure you've heard this, that the vaccine rate is way down the last, what was it, 18%? of yeah. people got the, the last uh, booster. So people are going, hey, common sense is kicking in. And the same thing with breast cancer, mammograms. Why would you put radiation into the breast if that's, that can cause breast cancer? It makes no sense. So chemo and radiation, they're both carcinogenic. Why would we treat cancer with carcinogens? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, people are starting to wake up, which is good. And I, medicine might throw us some bones, but at the same time, they're taking us, my films and stuff like that are probably going to come off of YouTube. 
my my last film. And I know my other documentary filmmakers that are in this area, they're having their films taken down right and left. It's a problem. They're coming after us. They've got, they used the whole COVID thing to come after us. Um, they said it's disinformation. Even if you have the medical literature, which I do through my whole film, I prove everything. It's very airtight. I really yeah. made it airtight. But they still come after you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, that's the things that, that we have to do with these controversial issues, whether it's COVID or the uh, uh, breast screening tests or alternative therapies for cancer. I encourage people to look at both sides, just like a jury would. If there was a jury trial, and let's say you were a defendant, either a civil or criminal case, and if the prosecutor or the plaintiff's attorney were the only one allowed to present its case, how would you feel about that? No, you'd want both sides to be heard because you want the information to come out, the evidence to come out that will exonerate you. Uh, but all too often, these issues, these controversial issues, like in your films or like COVID and the vaccines, they're tried in the court of public opinion, but we, but the corporate media and the government, pharma, only want you to hear one side of the story. Right. And, and they have the biggest platform, right? The rest of us are just clawing to get some kind of platform going and uh, they won't play ball. They're just, it's just them or the takeoff. And so what I encourage people to do is we have to keep an open mind and look at both sides because I'm speaking as a former attorney so I deal with a lot of evidence, just like you did, Megan, in, in your films. You want solid, compelling, credible evidence. You're not, neither of us is trying to build a case just to be argumentative or anything like that. It's because we look at the other evidence that's out there and saying, whoa, wait a minute. You know, people are being harmed in great ways by believing what we hear through the corporate media and the government, big pharma on these important health-related issues. And we're both trying to help wake people up to see that there's something that we're not being told. And there are a lot of lies being told, whether people really don't know, like whether some of the health professionals in these various organizations really don't know the truth or whether they're just being maybe paid a lot uh, to say a certain thing or to take a certain position. Okay. Here's a question or a statement that one of your, the doctors you interviewed in the first film, I believe said, people don't understand cancer or they wouldn't do what their doctors are asking them to do. You want to comment yeah. on that briefly? Yeah. So early detection, these screenings, which is out actually screening cancer is now under fire. It's, I don't know if you saw, I think it was in the Lancet. They did a big article and said, is screening really helping us? Is it really saving lives? Because when they say they've detected cancer early, they haven't. If they find a solid tumor, which is most cancers, it's been in your body two to 10 years. It's not early detection. So once it's encapsulated, it's probably also already in your bloodstream, unfortunately. And that's why chemo and radiation doesn't cure cancer because it's already floating around looking for the next organ to hit. So the only true cancer that you're able to reverse blood cancers, yeah, they can, they're pretty good at chemo can, and um, immunotherapy or wiping out some blood cancers is stage one cancers. If they can excise it and then they just leave you alone after that, 
and they get all the cancer, that would be a cure. But unfortunately, most cancers are found stage two, three, four. That's what he was talking about is if you, I'm trying, it's an ugly thing to know if you have cancer that if you had stage two or three, that you have a high degree of possibility that it's going to come back, but that's what we all fear, right? You get the treatments and it still comes back. You have to lifestyle there's a there is a way that some you can stave it off but it's a chronic disease you have to stamp on top of it and there's tons of books medical doctors have written about how you change your diet and your lifestyle and take the stress out of your life as much as you can and all these things so i'm not gonna go too down too far down that road because there's some great books out there but that's what he was talking about yeah this issue you mentioned about even the the stress factor in your second film there was one or two doctors who really commented on that. And there was even an example he gave of somebody who had cancer and it was, oh, it was a woman who had breast cancer on the right side, which he said was associated with maybe some issue with men. And he asked the patient, have, I forget the exact question, but it was like, have you ever been molested or something by a man, or did you have some really bad experience with a man? Do you, do you recall offhand what exactly that question was? What yeah, you- he said he usually gets breast cancers. This is a gentleman, Tony Jimenez, down in Mexico, hope for cancer. He always makes sure that he talks about where was your psyche when this happened? What happened to you two to 10 years ago that this solid tumor developed in your body? Because he says, until you get to that root cause of what caused this, there was some stress going on in your life, unless you had a big radiation load or for some reason. So he goes, he dives into that with his patients psychologically and she, her breast tumor would not go away. And he'd been treating her for months and months. And he's, what is going on? So he finally said, look, do you have a problem? Is there something that happened with a man somewhere in your life? And she had been abused by a whole bunch of family members. It was an awful story. And as soon as she fell apart, she said, I have only told a couple people in my life that she fell apart. And within two weeks, he said that tumor just melted away. That was t- so powerful to me. There's a correlation, the Chinese meridians and everything where we can talk about dental too, if you want to, but it's all correlated. The right side is a male, like you said, left side is female. If it's a breast cancer, it's fascinating what these doctors have taught me. And Yeah. In fact, I've heard several other testimonies about that too, where women had breast cancer and it must've been in the left side in the cases that I was listening to, but the issue that they were asked, and this wasn't even by asked by a doctor, but by a minister. And the question had to do with, is there a relationship with a woman in your life, like your mom or grandma, sister, daughter, some important uh, relationship with a woman where there's maybe some unforgiveness? Mm. And they said, yeah, it was a matter of fact. Now, I'm not saying necessarily this is in every case, but in in several cases, it, it could be mm-hmm. an issue of unforgiveness. And just like the example you described, Megan, as soon as the woman forgave that other woman in their life, the cancer disappeared. And just to make the point that sometimes it, the issue is as simple as that and how the stresses in our life, emotions, negative emotions can impact our physical health. Um, Yeah, cortisol, when you get stressed out, this is in my film, cortisol 
it raises your adrenals and then eventually that you'll stress out and you'll get so much cortisol will start building up. And if you don't get out of that adrenal fight or flight circle you get into, it'll eventually cascade all your other hormones that affect all your organs and everything. And that's how everything just starts falling apart. So you can't stay in that cortisol cycle very long. Okay. So let's get into some of these alternative cancer therapies that you highlight in the film and what kinds of things have doctors been finding that actually work? The one thing I want to start out with, there is a, everybody has their own little protocol. I saw some similarities between certain clinics that I, I call them cornerstones in my film. But one is really important to understand by the patient because you can start treating your own cancer before you go and get treated by anybody. And that is, <clears throat> excuse me, cancer loves sugar and cancer hates oxygen. And I don't care what an oncologist will tell you because I've had my friends say, Megan, you're full of it. it. Sugar doesn't feed cancer any faster than it does a regular cell. And no, that's not true. <laughs> this cancer cell is set up, this is all over the literature. It's set up as a sugar eating machine, whole bunch of insulin receptors on there. That'll tell you right there that there's something going on. It wants to set up to suck in the sugar. And so you can cut down your sugar. That's one of the things they do is they teach their um, clients at these clinics to, to change your diet, get the sugar out of your diet. What were you eating? What if you get off the McDonald's, get off the processed foods and alcohol and everything, detox the body. And then a lot of their modalities, their treatments have, there's an oxygen, like a vi high dose of vitamin C IV is releases an oxygen. So they're trying to oxygenate the body because cancer doesn't like oxygen. Hydrogen peroxide, baric chambers, which pumps you full of oxygen. Those are all utilized. Then they have laetril B17, also known as B17, releases a ars arsenic into your body and it doesn't harm regular cells. It only harms the cancer cell for reasons of, of enzymes in your body. So that's one that there, you have to go to... to they stopped using it in Europe. They outlawed it in Europe. They've outlawed it pretty much in the U.S. And they you can only find it in Mexico now. But it, that was helping a lot of people. And you have to detox the body. Like psych, they teach you about psyche stress. They use homeopathy, holistic. They have a holistic. We have to treat the whole body. What caused your cancer? Why did you get the cancer? Not just, okay, there's the cancer. Let's treat it, which is what conventional does. So that's an overview of their philosophies. And dentistry is the other one that I started to talk about. I don't know how much you want to go into that. I can do a quick overview. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, I don't know, a couple minutes if you can okay. describe yeah. some problems with there, because yeah. that is another issue. Yeah. It's a, it's very important. I didn't realize this, but so a, a doctor over in Switzerland put it this way. He said, 95% of my breast cancer patients have a tooth affiliated when they found like a bad root canal with infection underneath, they'll close the root canal, they'll cap the tooth and leave the infection sometimes in there. So it'll just sit there and drain right down into your breast through the lymphatics. So once you yank that tooth out or whatever they have to do, the breast cancers a lot of times will melt away. So he said 95% of the time he found a bad tooth affiliated with a breast cancer, which, I mean, that spoke volumes to me. Um, it's a very complex, there's actually good documentaries out there on the teeth dentistry and related to cancers that would be, because I'm not an expert in that, 
but it's well worth understanding that dentistry is really important and complicated <laughs> and to find, you can find a good bio dentist that will um, take care of you and don't be putting mercury fillings in your mouth anymore. That's really bad for you. And one of the things you mentioned was different forms of oxygen therapy. And I remember reading about oxygen therapy many years ago and was so surprised that, that it was so effective. But uh, like you said, cancer hates oxygen. And there was that one gentleman back in the earlier part of the 20th century, I think, who got a Nobel Prize for discovering something related to that, that cancer hates oxygen-rich atmospheres. And right. Otto, Otto Warburg was the same. Yeah. He's mentioned in my film. Yeah. And it's because cancer cells are okay under anaerobic conditions. They are set up as an anaerobic machine, whereas regular cells, we like aerobic, which means oxygen. Anaerobic is without oxygen. So they're set up for that. And it all occurs in the mitochondria, which is what these uh, non-conventional doctors look at is the mitochondria dysfunction, not at the DNA and let's blast the cell with um, cytotoxic chemotherapies. So it's two different philosophies and the cytotoxic one does not work because they're over overusing chemo. <laughs> mm -hmm. One of the other things that we you touched on in the second film was this issue of risk reduction. And there are two different measures of that. There's relative risk reduction and there's absolute risk reduction. And I talk about that in my book as well, which is one of the ways that was so misleading. The FDA says that the pharmaceutical companies or whoever is communicating to the public about risk reduction from any particular drug, you should always use absolute risk reduction and not the relative risk reduction because according to FDA guidelines, a relative risk reduction can result in this is FDA's words, suboptimal decisions, meaning less than ideal decisions because people are getting very misleading information. And right. Do they, do they tell the doctors that every time they see the word relative that they should get the heck away from it and look for absolute? They tell their pa patients it's this is the risk, but they don't say whether it's absolute or relative. I know doctors don't, some of the stuff they've been taught is just wrong and they don't have the time to look into it. And I think some of the doctors know what's wrong and what isn't, but I think a lot of them just don't know. They're told by their associations, this is the risk and they don't say if it's relative or absolute. <laughs> yeah. But the two different measures of risk reduction can make a huge difference. Just like mm -hmm. with COVID, we kept hearing at the beginning, 95% effective, 95% effective. If the public really understood, and this is covered in our book, The COVID Vaccines and Beyond, but if people really knew what that 95% number actually represents, they would be angry. And it's the same in the cancer context too. And I got the impression from my research on the COVID vaccines and maybe similar to what you found, there's just so many, it seemed like there were so many figures and, and numbers, like these percentages of, oh, this is going to reduce your risk of, by this much, or there's X percent chance of this if you don't do this or whatever. And it just seems like a bunch of those numbers just came out of thin air. 
It's the way that they manipulate us. And this is really important to know if you ever get a cancer diagnosis, they'll say, a lot of them, oncologists will say, they'd say, what's my survival chances? And they'll say 20%. But what they leave off is that's 20% for five years, Mm. right? They don't want you to know it's just for five years. Now the doctors know that and shame on them if they don't say for five years because that's really important. And my girlfriend caught her husband's oncologist because I told her that before she went in for the meeting, I said, make sure you say for how long. <laughs> sure enough, he lopped, he lopped off the five years. Yeah. So there's many ways that we're very misled mm-hmm. and many misrepresentations. Now, when it comes to doctors saying things, I think, Megan, what you said, a lot of them just don't know because they don't have very much time to keep up with the latest things, or they just go based on what they're told by the pharmaceutical companies or the FDA or CDC. And there was that one person in your second film that I believe was a second film. They're talking about a study that had been done maybe 20 years or so ago about are doctors doing regular reading on the latest things? And what did they find in that study? Yeah, that was Dr. Goodyear. Yeah, no, they are not doing the regular readings. They're relying on their associations. And these associations, when I look up information on the association websites, American Cancer Society, all of them, American um, Society for Clinical Oncologists, they are feeding the doctors a bunch of baloney. And somewhere, somebody somewhere knows that up the chain of wherever the heads of the associations, wherever they're getting their information is just flat wrong. They're feeding this into the associations and then they put it on their website and it's totally incorrect. And Mayo Clinic is one of the worst too. I hate to say it, but I was overturning a lot of their stuff. They say, these are myths. I'm like, no, what you're saying is a myth. And it's here's the literature. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That kind of brings us to the issue of like, why? And One of the topics you discuss in the film is about the finances and the kickbacks or financial incentives, uh, whatever you want to call them, that affects a doctor's recommendations of treatments. Can you address that for a little bit? Yeah, specifically on the kickbacks, I think there's different reasons. Explain what, what kind of compensation they're receiving for different things. Right. So, right. So specifically for that, for chemotherapy, doctors make the most of their money, sorry, medicine makes most of their money on vaccines and chemotherapy. When back in the nineties, doctors were taking what they call chemotherapy kickbacks. And basically it's they'll buy the chemo wholesale, then they'll put a big margin of profit on it. And then they'll sell it for retail to the patient or the insurance pays for it. And they were getting away with murder. (laughs) They were making millions of dollars more than they had been before. And then Medicare, I I bet it was the attorneys general. I didn't ever find out the information, but somebody squealed on (laughs) what they were doing. And Medicare changed it and said, you can only make a 6% profit. So what the New York Times reported, Alex Berenson, you probably know that name. He said, when that happened, the doctors had to figure out how they were going to make up that loss income. And what... Um, I found out through proctors, oncologists admitted when somebody asked him behind closed doors, what, what's this about chemo kickbacks? He said, actually, what's going on is 
sometimes I have to give a patient three chemos instead of two, or I won't make money and I'll go out of business. And I, we just couldn't believe he admitted that. And I now, and Alex Berenson and the rest of the articles I found in the New York Times, they never said what the extra treatments were, but my guess is that's what it was. And I was trying, been trying to get a hold of Alex to find out, confirm that's what it was. But my guess is that was one of the extra treatments as they're putting it. Sometimes they're putting an extra bag of chemo into patients when they don't have to, because, but the standard of care may say you can use two chemos or you can use three. And so they use three because they make more money. Yeah. And this whole area of like financial incentives also applies to vaccines of all kinds too. That's not the subject of this interview, but just probably in the future, I'll interview somebody who has a lot more background in the vaccines and why the childhood vaccines or any vaccines should be a major concern to everyone as well. And mm -hmm. when you look at, when you follow the money, as they say, it really starts making you think if if our doctors are making recommendations to us based on the financial impact on their own pocketbook, we might want to rethink mm -hmm. how much credibility or weight we give to those recommendations. And things like that are hard for me to say personally, because I come from a family of healthcare professionals, and but it's especially hard for me to to be taking the other side on some of these issues and talking about why we need to question our doctors if they're recommending certain treatments and, recommend, and prescriptions and so forth. It goes, goes back to that 50% of the medical literature is fraudulent. I had a friend who's a medical doctor. He said the first day of med school, his professor said that 50% is fraudulent. The problem is we don't know which 50%. Mm. Wow. That's a bit scary. Yeah. Yeah. A little scary. And also from your film, I got, I, I saw that quote by former FDA commissioner, Herbert Lay, who said something to the effect that what the FDA actually does and what people think they do are two very different things. Yeah. And there was actually something right before that quote, because I went and did a little research on what else did that guy say? And there was something right before that was talking about how the FDA, they're looking to protect the financial interests of big pharma. They're not looking to protect the patient's best interests. Somebody knows that right there. It's maybe we ought to be looking for healthcare treatments and healthcare advice from places other than modern medicine. Yeah. The revolving door is a huge problem. I talk about that in my film too. They're, the FDA commissioner will then go work at a pharmaceutical company and make a gazillion dollars and vice versa. And academia is also affected that way. They'll get their grants if they make their the outcomes of the literature, a certain their research end up the way that pharma or whoever's funding it wants it to look like. That's why half of it's fraudulent. <laughs> it starts in academia. So yeah. there's pressure. It's terrible what's going on. I, there's no easy fix. I, I don't know. We need a groundswell of all of us just waking up and just saying, no, I'm not going to do that. And one thing, and I know Robert Scott Bell pointed this out too, was there's a place for certain aspects of modern medicine. Like when it comes to 
trauma or emergency care or some things like that, they've they can do a really great job. But when it comes to just general health issues and dealing with diseases like cancer or any disease, I'm hoping that more and more people will look to alternative treatments and that also get at the cause, like the natural health doctors and the ones you interviewed, Megan, they're looking for what caused this problem to begin with, that what gave rise to this disease in the body, and then let's treat that. And if you remove the problem or what the cause, then the problem should go away. And yeah, it's, it's, I've had met many doctors tell me like what doc, uh, Robert Scott Bell was talking about. They're really good doctors. Medicine's good at emergency room issues and some surgeries, but chronic diseases, they don't know how to treat, they, they don't know how to cure. They can treat you. They can treat your symptoms, but they're not going to get into how did you come down with that chronic disease? They will not be able, they can't figure out how to cure you because they're looking at the wrong place. They're looking at how to sell pharmaceutical drugs. That's what they're taught in med school. They're not tra- taught about nutrition even. Yeah. They're taught about vitamins, not nutrition per se. Here's another point that I, I'd like to for you to touch on that you discussed in the second film. Since we were talking about medical education and so forth, how this flipped bec- from being where healthcare was more focused earlier on, on natural healthcare, homeopathy, treatments. But then in the early 20th century, things changed and shifted. And that's when you started seeing the natural methods and homeopathy and other things called like quackery. Could you go into that a little bit? Because I really, I think that's important for people to see where is this coming from? And when they understand that, it's hopefully easier for them to make a shift in their thinking now about who should they and can they trust for their healthcare needs? Yeah. So homeopathy, like you said, was basically that was predominant during the early 20th century. And then big oil, the Carnegie's and all those guys discovered that they could make chemicals out of oil and from chemicals, they could make pharmaceuticals. And they said, wow, there's a lot of money to be made here. And so they put this thing out. They hired this doctor, Dr. Flexner, to put out a report talking about how these homeopathies are quacks. We need to put them out of business and we should do regular old, let's create these medical schools. So that's what they did. And that's when we went to pharmaceutical-based medicine and we got rid of the natural products. And it's Europe hung on to it longer than we did. But now they're under fire too, because the pharma is building these big factories over there and they've been infiltrated. They have lobbyists over there too. Mexico is under fire. I One, one clinic wouldn't talk to me. They said, we're being watched. And I was like, what? This is Mexico. <laughs> I thought you guys were free spirits down here, but no. So that's the long and short of it. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So for people who have received a diagnosis of cancer, What besides some of the cornerstones that you mentioned, like the high-dose vitamin C and oxygen therapy and so forth, your film discusses various clinics that exist that where you, people can go and receive these treatments over a period of time, and they've had you know, great results. Can you talk about those clinics a little bit? 
So I was, when I looked like, I, I looked all over the world, basically, all over through Europe and Mexico and US. And I wanted to find the people that I could really, really felt like they were really reversing the stage four cancers, the, the hardest ones. And I found the ones that I found, and they would give me a patient to talk to. I thought that's some of the best evidence right there is if you have, if, especially if you've undergone standard of care and you still are able to turn your cancer around. So I Dr. Brzezinski in Houston is, he's a little pricey, but brain cancers, if I had brain cancer, I'd, I'd go running down to Dr. Brzezinski because he has a thing called anti-neoplastins. He's a brilliant researcher and medical doctor out of Poland. They've been going after him for years and they can't get rid of him because he's curing cancers. He stands up with you know 30 patients behind him at these medical board hearings and he's, these patients are going, I had glioblastoma 20 years ago and I'm still alive. And the doctors on the medical boards, their jaws are on the ground going, we can't get take this guy's license away from him. Then there's a Dr. Gonzalez out of New York City. Unfortunately, he's passed away. But his partner continues on. And they're also the Dr. Gonzalez's wife has taken over. And now she's trying to train doctors to this. It's called the Gonzalez Protocol. And it uses pancreatic enzymes to reverse cancers in addition to coffee enemas, which sounds terrible, but patients swear by them and they say they feel better after they do them. That's a, you got to be okay with swallowing a lot of pills. <laughs> and then Mexico, I found a couple of clinics that were reversing late stage cancers. And those are a lot more affordable, 25,000 maybe for a three week visit. I'm, I'm Don't quote me on that, but it's somewhere around there. And then they've got other doctors that can help support you. I know a patient, Chris Wark, who, you know, he's famous. He's called Chris. He's got a, a group called Chris, Chris Beat Cancer. And he was stage 3C. He had cancer all through his body. They opened him up, said, you're going to die. We can do chemo and radiation. He said, no. And he left. And he basically chained himself to a food processor, green juicing, looked up how you reverse cancers, just juicing. And he hasn't gotten his cancer back. And that's been, I bet it's been 15 years or so. So you, if you really are dedicated to, and you want to live bad enough there, you can do it on your own. It's just hard. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. there are plenty of resources out there uh, too. And I would just strongly encourage everyone to look at the options out there because I know, Megan, you hate to see people suffer unnecessarily as well. And in the second film about the alternative cancer therapies, you talk about and interview your friend, Christy, who had, what kind of cancer did she have again? Breast cancer. Yeah, that's right. So that interview, which she made comments in different parts of the, of the film, and it was so sad for me to hear her talking about how she was wanting to beat the cancer. And she saw her job as, as a cancer patient to survive long enough until there's a cure for it. And that she was willing to do whatever to make that happen. But she was not willing to look at some of the things you were suggesting to her. And so I want to strongly encourage people, please have an open mind as Megan, people like Megan sharing and spending countless hours of research and interviewing and incurring expenses of your own too, I'm sure. 
as I have in trying to find out this important information that can really help people. And for those who maybe have only looked in one direction for their healthcare advice, please keep an open mind to know that there are alternatives that are safer, more effective, often less expensive and all, because we want you to be healthy because you have gifts and talents and skills that the world needs. We want to see you healthy and because it affects not only the life of your family, but other people too, because we want to benefit from the gifts and skills that you have. So we want everyone to live the most healthy life that they can. And that's why we put ourselves out to do things like Megan and all the films that she's done, hundreds of interviews, very time-consuming, very difficult, but so worthwhile. And there was, going back to this insurance point once again, there was one of your, one of the doctors, I believe, made the comment to the effect that he, it was hard to understand why the insurance company would cover a treatment like chemo that may be hundreds of thousands of dollars, but they won't cover like a natural health treatment that might only be a few thousand dollars or much less expensive. And so I could, yeah. And get a patent on vitamin C. That's a big reason. Yeah, exactly. So we, I encourage everybody again to question whose report are you going to believe and to do some of your own research. Let's come become very apparent in this age of COVID that each one of us is going to have to exercise greater personal responsibility for our own health care. And hopefully more people will do that so that we can regain our health and have hope, real hope, not just wishful thinking hope, that we can overcome diseases that modern medicine says are incurable. Uh, they, right. Yeah. Cancer doesn't have to be a disease you fear. If you do the research prior and you're ready, half of us are going to be getting cancer in our lifetime. That's what the statistics are now. Know this, have this stuff beforehand. If I knew what Ty Bollinger's before Proctor got cancer, I would have been a lot more ready to have talked to him about different therapies. But it's a way to have hope instead of fear. I would be, if I had cancer, I would be filled with hope. But to have false hope, like my girlfriend, Christy, had, we just wait one more, just hang in there, Christy. We're still looking for a cure. That's what her doctor told her. Just got to keep alive. So what kind of cure? What kind of hope is that? I want to know that these therapies were, are going to work. And so with that, Megan, where can people contact you? Or what's the best way to reach you if they have questions or want to connect with you? We'll certainly include your the links to your videos or your films in the show notes, but how can they connect with you? If you want to connect with me, go to Waymark Productions, plural.com, waymarkproductions.com. There's a button on there about contact us. I also have a blog, which you may not have that link. It's called blog on boobs, B-O-O-B-S.com. And that one has a contact button. So those messages will get to me. And Boob's blog, I'm now morphing it. You can go into the archives and find out everything you ever wanted to know about breast cancer and the screening methods. But I'm now starting to morph it 
into a general cancer information. Mm. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So what's next on, on your plate? <laughs> I'd like to go on vacation, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm just promoting my two films right now since I just put out the second film in December and until people stop wanting to have me on podcasts, I'm just going to exhaust the, I just want, I want as many people as possible to see this film because my friends that are conventionally minded when they saw my film, they said, wow, I'm going to Mexico if I get cancer. I was just hearing some, I was like, okay. I didn't know if my film was going to be able to convince people to look at alternatives, but I think it does a good job. It's just a couple nights, a couple of your nights. You just have to watch this film and get a whole bunch of information. It's free on YouTube right now. I'm not charging for it. I'm just, it's free. And I want people to get, see the information and God bless them if they get cancer, but they'll have the background to hopefully get through it. Okay. Thank you so very much, uh, not just for the interview here, but also for all the thousands of hours that you've put into these projects, uh, very kind of selfless effort that is, is so appreciated and so much needed. And so I want to thank you very much for being with us. And for all those watching this, just ask that you share the podcast, follow, leave a comment, send me your questions, comments to my email, sally at astoundyourselfpodcast.com. You know, I love to hear your comments and uh, suggestions. So uh, with that, we'll just say again, thank you, Megan, so much for all that you've done. Thank you, Sally. And, and thanks to what, what you've done also.